open your Bibles today to First John, John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. We are in part 3 of a series titled Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories. It's the last message in the series. Um, uh, t- today we're going to see here in this verse, there- there's a verse that we're going to look at that you need to memorize. Memorize. I don't know if you guys memorize the verses. But it's one that you and I should memorize, especially in our times of trouble. When you and I find ourselves in that place that we don't know what to do, here's what uh, we need to understand and remember. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's what we have to remember. In fact, that's my message today. That's it. I'm done. If you could get that, don't leave yet. If we could walk out with that, we are ahead of the game. In fact, I love that so much. Everybody read that with me like you mean it. Okay, read it with me like you mean it. On three, ready? One, two, three. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Well, that you or me or it's me or you kind of thing, right? Because that is the truth. That's the basis for our message today. Listen, people who claim God's promises in their lives receive those promises from God. If we walk in those promises, if we claim victory over those things, if you've been with us for a few weeks in this series, we've talked about how the focus has been on this Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost that lives within us. And we, the first week we looked at uh, God in you through his Holy Spirit. We looked at the next week, God working through you through his Holy Spirit. And today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit working around you, around you. So here's what I want you to know today. There is a vicious battle going on, and you may not know it. There's a war going on, and it's right where we live. It's right in our homes. It's right around us. It's it's a battle that we're in, and the thing is, you can't see it. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle between the enemy and God. It's, It's this battle that takes place in all around us, and here's what you have to know, that uh, today uh, we have an enemy, and it's not the people who we think that they are. It's the devil. It's Satan. That's true. Satan is real. So here's a secret strategy. We're going to look at secret strategies of the enemy Because if we know his strategies, we'll know how to deal with that and what to do when he attacks us. And he attacks us, tries to, quite often. Here's the first secret that the enemy doesn't want you to know. Number one, you are at war. You are at war. You know, you're driving home from work. You find yourself in that place and you're, and you're thinking about work and you go, that wasn't work today, that was a battle I was in. Maybe you find yourself sitting down at the table 
and your kids are sitting across from you and the family is there. Do families sit down at the table anymore to eat? I hope they do. That's what you should do every day. But people are sitting down there and you look over at that kid that's sitting across from you and you know, he's not your enemy or she's not your enemy. You look over at your parents and you go, you know, they're not my enemy. The devil's my enemy. Satan is my enemy. So there's a battle going on. It's not your coworkers. It's not the people you meet on the street. It's not the neighbor next door with the barking dog. Although sometimes I think that dog is my enemy, but he, he isn't. Here's the truth today. We are all POWs in the same battle. We're prisoners of war. We're in the middle of this big war that's going on and the enemy wants to deceive you. And he just doesn't want you to know it. He wants to trick you into doing things. He wants you to, to take the wrong path or make the wrong moves. You see, you and I, honestly, we're on the front lines. And so the second thing that Satan doesn't want you to know that's part of his strategy is this. Uh, Satan prefers to hide. He wants to hide. Let me tell you why. Because when the enemy's darkness comes up against God's light, and God's light is in God's people, there's no power. So the only thing he can do is try to guerrilla warfare, kind of sneak up on you when you're not looking, when you don't think. See, he tries to make things look harmless, but they're really not. In fact, even today in our world, I mean, we're coming up on a time called Halloween. We don't celebrate that as a church, but let's face it, people will get dressed up in devil costumes and they'll look cute with a little pitchfork and, a, and a little ears and they think that's cute. But the truth is, it's, it's not cute at all. He's not cute at all. He wants to take us out. He wants to take us out from where we're, what, what we're doing and what we're trying to do. You ever hear of a, a, a hog-nosed snake? Hog-nosed snake. You ever hear of one of those? Let me tell you about the snake. It, uh, go on YouTube and type in hog-nosed snake on YouTube and you'll see this. I was going to bring a picture of that or a video of that, but I didn't get a chance. Here's a snake and it looks ferocious, but it has no venom. It has no venom in it. So you come up on this snake and I swear to you, this is what happens. If you go on YouTube, you'll see this. You, you, you reach for the snake, and he'll puff up and look ferocious and show his teeth and even strike a little bit, but he really won't because he knows he's not going to do anything to you. And the closer you get to grabbing a hold of him, he plays dead. He falls right on his back, and you push over, you could stick your finger in the, in the, in the snake's mouth, and the mouth just lays there like it's dead. Let me tell you something. That is Satan completely. Comes on, puffs up, like he's in charge, like you need to be fearful of him. But the truth is, when you stand up to him, he flips over. He plays dead. Because he has no power over you. 
He has no power over you at all. So here's the third thing, the third thing that Satan doesn't want you to know. First, he's a snake in the grass, right? But here's the thing he doesn't want you to know. Satan's already defeated. He's already defeated. There was a battle, and the truth is Jesus came, died on the cross. We were saved, and because of that, you know what the truth is? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have power. We have power in the name of Jesus. And we need to stand strong against the enemy's deceits. And, and the Holy Spirit that lives in you wants to guide you every step in the way. And, and I talked to somebody this morning, and they were telling me a story how they were sharing the Holy Spirit with someone. And they said, I'm afraid of ghosts. I'm afraid of spirits. But they were Christian. There are Christians that have the power of God within them and they don't know it. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to me. So there are three weapons, three weapons the enemy wants to use against us. A, Satan can accuse you before your heavenly father. That's a weapon he has. He can Go to, go to God and accuse you. You see, what, you see what Steve's doing? You see what Ken's doing? You see what Kevin's doing? I mean, you see this guy? You see he comes to church, he's there, he's doing that, but then they, you know, all this and all that, or they do this or they do that. But here's what you have to know. As big of an accuser as he is, if you're in Christ today, you know what happens when the enemy accuses you to God? Because God is a just God, Right? And if you're accused of something, God is just. But as soon as the enemy accuses you, Jesus stands up and says, wait a minute, I already paid the price for that. So you can let her go. And then I can see God with a big holy gavel slamming it down saying, not guilty. You see, the enemy is an accuser. He's an accuser. You know, you know those people you think you like, they're just talking about you behind your back. They're doing these things. And you ever, you ever notice that, that the things we build up on our mind are way worse than the real things? Sometimes we can think all these terrible things and all this terrible stuff is going on, and before you know it, you go, that wasn't going on at all. Where did that come from? Well... Now you know, he's an accuser, and he goes before God, and Jesus says, no, he's with me. And that's a, so that's a, that doesn't work. Point B is this, the second thing. Intimidation. He loves to use intimidation. This doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound right at all, but... Uh, um, Demons are like junior high boys. You know what I mean? Like junior high school boys. Hey, do you know any of those? Have you ever seen any of those? You've seen some of those. Now, junior high school boys, here's what they do. They get together in a gang, and they, they run and do wrong things, and they raise havoc, and they do all of that, and, they, and they're doing this, and they're bullies in school, and they gang up on kids that are, that are less... Uh, uh, 
that they have no, uh, no self-esteem and they, they pick on them. But here's the thing about those bullies. When you stand up to them, they run the other way. You see, the enemy is the same way. You see, if you hide or get back from them or you're fearful of the enemy, then he's going to continue to come at you. But we need to make him fearful of us because he tries to intimidate us, but he's nobody, right? He's nobody to intimidate us because he has no power over us. Look at what it says in the scripture, James chapter 4, verse 7, James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. That's a good thing to remember when you're being attacked by the devil. Resist him, and he will flee from you. Go to God. And the third thing that the enemy loves to do is is point C. It's deception. It's deception. Now, here's something interesting about deception. Deception and intimidation go together like peanut butter and jelly. They're always together. I'll deceive you, and then I'll intimidate you. And that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to deceive us and intimidate us because the real truth, when you, when you narrow it all the way around, here's the deal. Satan is a liar. Now, he's not a bad liar. He's really a good liar. He's really good at it. Because if he was really bad, you know what he would do? He would just tell you this big lie, and then you would just go, I don't believe that. I know that's not true. I know that's not right. But he doesn't do that. You see, what the enemy loves to do, he lives in the land of half-truths. He just tells you half the truth, and then he twists it to fit what he wants what he wants you to believe. You see, the Holy Spirit that lives in you is more powerful than the lies Satan tells to you. And the reason why that's true is because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's just, Satan's just a liar. He just tells us lies all the time. Now, here's the thing. Today we're going to look at, I'm just going to put in front of you what I call five big lies. Five big lies. There's many more lies than that, that the enemy tells. But these five are the ones that kind of hook us once in a while if we're not careful. I'm sure you can come up with more that, that, he, that he does. But uh, The truth, the, the, the thing is, Satan doesn't need you to be bad. He just needs you to be bored. He doesn't need you to be bad, do bad things. But if you're bored, you look for things to do. You look for stuff to get into, right? You look for, well, I, I, I'm not looking at anybody when I say that. So I'm just, I'm just kind of looking, looking around. I don't mean you specifically. He doesn't need you to be evil, He just needs you to be comfortable. 
You see, if you're comfortable where you are and what you're doing, then he can sneak up on you. So, so what we have is this ability to spiritually fall asleep. You ever fall asleep and just kind of do one of those and you're, something happened, maybe you had the TV on and then there's an explosion on the television and you've seen your grandpa do that all the time, right? <laughs> like that kind of thing. We see that all the time. We see it in church. I mean, all you gotta do is look around a little bit and you see someone go, oh, there it is. And the truth is this, that, that that's how the enemy wants you to just fall asleep. And he tells you these, he tells you these half-truths. So let's look at the five half-truths. And the first one is this. You know something? You deserve to be happy. I agree with that, don't you? Satan says you deserve to be happy. You see, you de- and then he goes on to say this, you deserve a nicer car. You deserve a bigger house. Go out. Credit is available. Go get it. That money is that they just want to give it to you. Don't worry about it. Just do it because you deserve a, a new car. Uh, uh, you deserve a, who's got a cell phone? I can, let me borrow your cell phone a minute. Uh, you don't just want a cell phone. You want one that cleans your house and does everything else. You could get a cell phone for 70 bucks, but you want to buy the one that's 700 bucks because you deserve to be happy and a $700 cell phone will make you very happy. Which one is that, the 700? No. Uh, the, the $700 phone will make you completely happy. And God says, yes, I want you to be happy, but I want you to be happy in me. And that the possessions that you have are not the source of happiness. The things that we have doesn't bring joy into our lives. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, and one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is joy, right? There's peace, patience, joy, you know, all that love, and and all of those, those different things, and joy is one of those. And so God says, follow me, and you'll have joy in your life. You'll walk in joy. Luke Chapter 6, verse 38. Here's what it says. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure. Press down, shaken together, and running over. For your standard measure, for, for by your standard measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, Here's the deal. This doesn't sound good. I shouldn't have put this in there. You should have stopped me. Uh, when, when it comes to your toilet, we don't like the idea of overflowing, running over. But when it comes to the blessings of God, overflow. We want overflowing. We want more than we could ask or think. We want that. Get that picture in your mind? You know what I'm saying, right? It's that thing. It's this thing that, that deception, deception that comes to us that, 
the enemy says, well, you deserve to be happy. And Jesus says, yes, you do, but not the way he's telling you that happiness comes. Here's the second way Satan tries to deceive us. You deserve to be satisfied. That's true. Now let me tell you what this talks about, and I don't know if we can say this in church or not. He's talking about sex. Can I say it that way? He's talking about sex. How's that? Al woke up from that one. Al goes, huh? Al says, what? The enemy says, oh yeah. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Uh, This is how the world is. I mean, this is how it should be. You deserve to be satisfied. And, And women, come on. Get with it. You're behind the times. And everybody goes, don't, don't agree with me. I mean, I'm just. <laughs> okay, you're agreeing with me, but not in that. But here's the deal. God does say that we should be satisfied. But he says that satisfaction comes in a marriage relationship. And sex is reserved for that relationship, for that marriage relationship. You see, God has a plan, and that's his plan for sex. That it's between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. And uh, everybody's rolling over right now, upset about that. But what? But here's the thing. What if I'm divorced? What if my spouse passed away? What? Uh, what if I'm? If, what if I'm 20 years old and I'm a young guy and I and I just want to get out there and get going? Well, God has a plan, and His plan is for that part of you, that part of your life to be reserved for a marriage relationship because in a marriage relationship here's what you know need to know it's the closest relationship you can have and it brings you to a place of intimacy that really is an intimacy with a spouse that God wants with us he wants that closeness with us and every time we find ourselves in that position when we're doing those things, we give a piece of us away to the other person. And now, if you're in a relationship and that relationship is just boyfriend and girlfriend and you're doing that, that's a relationship that can go in different directions and you leave a piece of you behind. Amen? Okay. It's it's a, it's a, and that's all I've got to say about that. But God has the answer to this. He has the solution. He has something he wants you to do. It comes to us in 1 Corinthians 6.18. If you're in that position and you're not married and you're doing this, he says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sin a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You sin against your own body. 
So God could have said resist, but he knew that you'll only resist for so long and then you'll give in. So he doesn't say resist. He says something else. It's a point in your notes. Here's God's solution. Run immediately from sexual temptation. Run as far as you can. Get out of it as fast as you can. Get away from it whenever it can because you'll find yourself in moments of weakness and you will be sorry that you didn't flee when you did where you were supposed to. So run away. Now here's the thing you should know. When a person runs away from sex, they're not running away from sex. They're running towards God's plan. And that's what you need to do. Young people, that's what you need to do. Like you're going to listen to me. I hope you do. Psalms 37, 34 says this. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When wicked are destroyed, you will see it. In other words, the satisfaction that God has for you comes through marriage. And if you take it upon yourself, you miss out on that inheritance in your life. You miss out on something because you went at it first before doing it God's way. So that brings us back to this deception. And deception is not a new thing. Deception started way back in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? Because that was the first deception. You see, you want to, Eve, you want to eat that fruit because it's going to make you wise. It's going to make you knowledgeable. It's going to, it's going to make you like God. And when we study that story, we know that when Eve did that, she knew it was the wrong thing to do. But she did it anyway, right? She did it anyway. And so why would they do that? Why would Adam and Eve do that? Why would they listen to evil? And here's a point. They wanted power. They wanted power. See, there's two things, one called pride and one thing called power that go together like, like deception and intimidation. It's pride and power. And they're the two biggest reasons many times for sin in people's lives, pride and power. Here's the third thing that the enemy wants you to, to believe. You deserve to be honored. You deserve to be honored. Now, here, here's, what, here's the truth about that. You deserve to be honored. You do. That's true. All, every one of you deserve to be honored. God created you in the womb. And you know what? The Bible says that not only did he create you, he created you by knitting you together. He made only one Deborah. He only made one Steve, and he made you just the way you are. He knitted you together. God has a, what we call a divine honor for you, each one of you. But here's the deal. 
God honors us, but he wants to be the one to honor us. He doesn't want us to honor us. He doesn't want us to be the one who, look at me. God's, God wants to say, look at you. Look at what you're doing. You see, the half-truth is this, this thing. Uh, I need to exalt myself and make myself look big uh, where I work so that everybody knows that I'm a big shot. And God says, no. Here's what God says. It's a point in your notes. God says, I will exalt you. Don't you exalt you. I will exalt you. You see, God never intended for us to exalt ourselves. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we allow God to do that? What's the solution for that? Here's the solution. Serve humbly. Serve humbly. I mean, well, how do I know if I'm serving humbly? When you help people who can't pay you back, when you do things that can't have any return on it, when you mentor someone, when you help kids in school with an after-school program, when you help the elderly or, or whatever it would be, if there's no, nothing coming back to you, you see, you serve that and you do that when you serve a church, when you come in early, when you help do things. You, uh, thank you for doing that. You'll get a thank you for that, but you're not going to get anything else besides that, you know. You, but here's what you'll get. God will exalt you. God says, look at this, look at her, look at him, look what they're doing. James chapter 4, verse 10 says this, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Here's the fourth uh, temptation the devil deals with, uh, with you with, uh, with you with, well, something like that. Here's the, here's the fourth thing, anger, anger. Now, Men have this sometimes more than women do, that, that men have this deal with anger. And here's why. This is going to throw you off. We were created in the image of God, and God gets angry. Now, we think anger is a bad word. We think anger is not good. But God gets angry. God gets angry with the injustice of the world, just like you and I do. We see laws coming up and people voting on these laws. And sometimes, I have to tell you, it makes me angry. Because I see that and I go, how ridiculous is this? is what you're spending your time on? Right? We have people out of work, people doing this and doing that, and you're talking about what bathroom someone can use. I mean... It makes you angry sometimes, right? I'm well loved by everyone who watches from home. Here's the deal. Anger is not evil. The only time it becomes evil, when we take anger upon ourselves and we're the judge. When we, what, I want justice. 
I want justice. Because here's what, number four is, you deserve justice. Anger is this, you deserve justice. And I think that's true. Don't you think that's true? That people deserve justice? I think it's true. I mean, God gets angry. When we see people being picked on, when we see bad things happening, we go, we need justice in this. But here comes the problem. Here's the problem. The problem becomes when my justice, when my justice becomes your penalty. You know what I mean by that? When I say, I deserve justice, that means you deserve to get it. Get it good, right? It, it, and here's the problem with that. We serve a God of mercy, a God of grace. And we're supposed to walk in that mercy and grace. You know, here's the, here's the story that, that what, what God gives to us, we're supposed to give out to others. And God didn't give me what I deserve. He gave me grace. And we're supposed to give that grace to others. Don't you hate that? I don't like it. I don't like it because here's the deal. Uh, uh, God gives mercy. That's a bullet point in your note. Here, here's the deal. I want justice when we're talking about you. But when we're talking about me, I want mercy, baby. Right? You're driving down the road, you're speeding, and you, you're hoping there's no cops there. Right? You're hoping there's no cops on the road to give you a ticket and pull you over. But now you're driving down that same road and someone passes you and you go, where are the police when you want them? Right? Isn't that what happens? That's the way it works, right? For other people, we want justice. But for ourselves, we want forgiveness and mercy and get out of this ticket thing. So here's God's solution for you and me when it comes to this, to this business. Forgive unconditionally. We need to be people who forgive unconditionally. And the question you have to ask yourself is, do I have the ability within me to forgive the way God forgives me? And the answer is yes, you do. If you're in Christ, you do. Because the Spirit of the Lord lives within us. It's a, it's a touchy situation. Look at what it says, Luke 6, 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Here's the thing you really need to know. If you find yourself in this place and you go, Andy, I hear that and I understand and I've heard millions of pastors say this, but you don't know what this person did to me and I can't forgive what they did. And the truth is this, that if you don't forgive, you alone will bear it. You'll bear the pain of that. 
Because I guarantee you that the person you're mad at probably doesn't even know it or doesn't even care. <laughs> and we battle that. And God says, look, I want you to be free in every area of your life. And the only way you're going to have that complete freedom is if you forgive. If you allow forgiveness to flow through you unconditionally. Because if you're not, if you're not uh, totally walking that way, you know what it, it is. It's like you walking around with a cloud over your head and with chains on your feet. And God says, you need to be freed from this once and for all. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He wants us to be freed from that so that we can walk in his way. Here's the fifth deception. It surrounds this deal. It's not the word that you write in your notes, but it's one of the, the words. Uh, the fifth deception of Satan deals with, with guilt. You see, here's the deal. God doesn't only want you to forgive others. He wants more than that. He wants you to forgive yourself. And people battle that. People battle that all too often because here's the lie of the enemy, number five. You deserve to be punished. You deserve to be punished. Now here's the deal. Here's the thing. That's true. We all deserve to be punished. But in Christ, we don't get what we deserve. That's, that, that's the deal. You see, we don't get what we have coming to them. But the enemy continues to put in our minds, how is God going to ever forgive you for that? You know, God is perfect, and God is without sin, and he's a just God. How do you get away with doing something that's not right? How do you think God's going to do that? You deserve to be punished. And how God did that was he sent his son to die for us so that our sins would be forgiven. Here's a point in your notes. Jesus absorbed all sin. You see, those of you who are watching, we're, we're kind of wrapping this up here pretty quick. Uh, here's how it all kind of plays out. Because of my sin, I've been separated from God. That happened all the way back, Adam and Eve. I may not have done it, but I'm under that curse, right? I'm under that. And so because of our sins, we're separated from God. But God, who wanted a relationship with us, built a bridge to wholeness in Christ. He built a bridge from us in our sin to God in his glory through Christ who died and created that bridge for us. This happened when uh, Jesus died on Calvary, when his blood was shed. And you think about that blood, and, and I want you to think about that. 
blood pouring out of him and that he bled that blood for us. Each one of us. I don't think he got anything out of this. He got a relationship with us. You know what I mean? And whoop-de-doo. We're the ones that should praise him every day and lift him up and glorify him every day. So listen, here's how it works. So you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and then you can stand and say, you know, I don't have to fear the devil because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you would be right. And then you can stand against the attack knowing that God is with you. You see, you receive then the gift of eternal life. Here's the solution. Here's what you have to do. You have to confess honestly. You have to confess honestly. Here's the deal about confession. We think if we, if we don't confess to God, God doesn't know what we're doing. But God sees everything. He knows everything. And when you confess, what you're really saying to God is, God, I know you saw me do that, and I know it was wrong, and I'm not going to do it anymore. Please forgive me. And God has an answer to that. When you and I do that, he has an answer. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, today we looked at those five ways, five things. Oh, remind, uh, at the bottom of your bulletin, it's not about this. You see a square? You see this thing that looks like a square? That's a teaser for next week. I'll tell you what that is next week. But I want you to think about that this week. What is that? What is that thing? What is that square all about? Think about that for next week. So uh, God forgives us if we ask him. 1 John 4, 4. Dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Here's what you need to know of those five ways that Satan tries to come at you. Satan will attack his, your weakest link. Wherever you're the weakest, man, he knows, go for the leg. Go for whatever it is. Go for that place. And so I want you to kind of ask yourself a question as we, as we kind of start wrapping down. Think of those five things we talked about. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Um, which one do I have a problem with? What do I have a problem with? And circle the one. I won't look at it. But I mean, you can circle the one that you want. Circle the one that you think you have trouble with. Because here's what I want you to know. You want to focus on that. Because if you can get that under control, the enemy can't use it against you anymore. He can't use it again. He'll look for someplace else to get at you. But if we're continually doing this, we're continually walking in God's way, it's going to be harder and harder for him to find something to grab a hold of. 
And here's how Paul wraps everything up for us. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, if you were walking around and you felt guilty, if you accept Christ, if you ask him into your life, there is no longer no condemnation. When you mess up, you're not condemned. You, you, you need to repent of it and continue on the right path. Well, at this point, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, has told us, he's told us about, about God in us through the Holy Spirit, God working through us through his Holy Spirit, and God around us working through you and the Holy Spirit within you. And he wants to bring us to a final thought or a couple of final thoughts. Romans 8.33. Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? That's a good question, right? Who God has justified. Who would bring charges against them? And he answers this in verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? And the answer is no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If anybody was going to judge us, it would be Jesus. And Jesus says, that ain't happening because I'm the one telling God how good you are, how we, this is, no, no, I paid the price for you. He's, he's on our side, on our side completely. So verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? And I love this. If God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul wants us to know one last thing with about two minutes left. Here it is. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the presence nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the only question remains if you're watching from home today or you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, where are you today? Not only that, but if you're watching today and you're in Christ and you've been living a life of, that's been deceived, what are you going to do about it? But let's go to the one who never accepted Christ. You can today. We never like to leave our service without giving you an opportunity to do that. So I want to encourage you to repeat after me and ask Jesus to come into your life. Will you do that today? I pray that you will. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. 
I accept you now as my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for these people. We pray, Lord, as we leave this place, that you would guide us through your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in your way every step that we take. And help us to know the truth, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we give you the glory for that in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Thanks for being here.